Father God, you are good. Your love never fails. You were with us in the storm, and you're with us afterwards. Father God, please be with Matt and his message that he brings. Allow the Holy Spirit to protect us from the enemy and the outside distractions. Lord, please be with all those that aren't here today. Our friends and family that may be sick or dealing with any kind of cleanup from the storm last night. Lord, thank you so much for the blood of your son. That perfect blood cancels every sin. And we're seen righteous in your eyes when we're covered with that blood. Lord, please continue to work in our lives. Lead us and guide us with the Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to find the perfect church, you need look no further than 670 McDaniel Street, southwest in Atlanta, Georgia. That is a picture of the front of it. It exists there in Atlanta. Um, if you want to go be a part of it, you sure can. However, you know, that's probably the worst named church ever. Couldn't possibly live up to its name. And it really speaks to something that we look for and um, we have this thing called the, uh, there's a thing out there called the Golden Age Fallacy. It's been in several movies. There's a movie called Midnight in Paris that really gets the, gets the essence of this. But here's what it is. And we all are guilty of this in a certain way, whether you're thinking about Mayberry or something else. You're looking for this idyllic, idyllic place that, that actually never existed. And we think about it all the time. Like, if we just go back to the way they did it in, in 1950, it would have been great. If we go back to the way they did in 1940, you remember they had a world war going on in between the 40s and 50s. It was so great then. Rationing, all that kind of stuff. Well, let's go back further. Let's go back to the 30s. Great Depression coming, you know. Well, let's go back to 1915. Oh, World War One. Great. You ever think about that? If we were only, if we lived in this time period, if we just go back to how it used to be, if we go back in the church to how it used to be, when, when we used to we used to have the organ doing it, this, 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 no church or age has ever been perfect. It's the enemy to what God wants to do in your life to think of a perfect age that it exists or a perfect church exists. It doesn't in this side of heaven. So reject that. Because you probably even said that, you know what, if we just went back to what the early church did, we'd be all right. Well, they had lots of problems in the early church, too. If you don't believe me, read the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning, and I wanted to show you something. Don't look for a perfect church. And if you find one, don't join it because it won't be perfect then, okay? Because you're going to mess it up, guaranteed, or I'd mess it up. Don't look for a perfect church, but look for a true church. 
Don't look for a perfect church, but look for a true church. That's what we've been talking about. We did the I am statements here. We talked through Jesus, who is I am, Jesus being God in the flesh. We talked about all who that is, and then we've moved on to this next sermon series, We Are Who We Are as the Body of Christ. And we looked at this, that we're a family. We're these called out people, the ecclesia, those who've been called out for God's glory and for his worship. That's who we are. We're a family. Our family should be marked by love. We also should be marked a true church because we're all looking for the real thing. A true church is marked out this, and the reformers help us understand this. A true church is one that preaches the gospel slash the word of God, preaches it correctly, rightly, and practices the ordinances rightly. And the two ordinances are things that Jesus commanded us to do. That's just a fancy word to say Jesus ordained that we should do these things, okay? One is baptism, which we talked about last week, which is a symbol, is the entryway into the kingdom. Not that you're saved by baptism, but it's a symbol for believers that they have entered into Christ. And we talked about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus when we're when we're we're immersed in the water. There's nothing special about the water, especially here, because we get it out of the tap back there and we baptize you in a big trough and it's freezing. Okay, there's nothing nothing salvific about that, nothing that saves you, but what it is is saying, God has done this work in me. I've repented of my sins, I've become a new creation, and now I'm showing everyone. This is who I am. The second one is the Lord's Supper, which in a few moments we are going to partake in together. It's very important that we understand this, that we are not looking for perfection. We're looking for truth. Now, don't, don't, don't mess that up. God is perfect truth and perfect perfection, but we're just looking for a true church. And so we come to a church that is anything but perfect, but yet true in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you would, read with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 and following. And this is Paul's instruction to this church who's having some problems about what they do during the Lord's Supper. Verse 17, this is, if you don't have a Bible with us, it'll be on the screen here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 says this, But in the following instructions, I do commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. I need to let you know something. When you guys get together, it's not for your good. It's actually worse that you got together. Sometimes it's like a family reunion, okay? It'll be real good, and that's actually for the worse. Everybody dislikes each other more after it. I don't know if you've been there. Verse 18 says, for in the first place, and here's why your church meetings aren't going so well. In the first place, when you come together as a church, remember the call that one's ecclesia, I hear that there are divisions among you. There's fractures. There's little groups. And I believe in, I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. And that's a, that's a real interesting. He's basically saying sometimes factions are good because it shows who are the sheep and who are the goats, those who are in Christ and who are not. So here, here, here's the thing. If you constantly go from church to church and you find yourself in this contentious group, the churches might not be the problem. You might be the problem. I say that in love. But it's amazing how the same old people cause the same old problems no matter where they end up or where they stay. And so he says, in one sense, divisions are necessary. Verse 20, when, when you come together, assembly, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So the Lord's Supper contains these elements, the bread and the wine, and he says, when you come together, you're not doing this. Verse 21, for in eating it, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? <laughs> okay. I love the way this is translated. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? 
Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And so this church is not perfect by any means. It needs correction because when they get together to do the Lord's Supper, there's divisions. And apparently some people are eating before the other people show up. He's like, how are you doing this? One is going without and one's getting drunk. This can't be. This is not the church. This isn't the Lord's Supper. This is just you exercising the will of your flesh and sinning. And there needs to be correction in that. So there's a right and a wrong way to do the supper, and we're going to hear more about that in a minute. And so what Paul does here is he gives us, and he goes back to the origin of the supper with Jesus. And in verse 23, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And so here's this thing. He goes back and says, why is the Lord's Supper there in the first place? Well, it goes to this. Jesus ordained it. Said it was it's something we should do. He did it in the upper room. All the Gospels record at least a little bit of the Lord's Supper happening. They're in the upper room with his disciples right before he's about to be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and right before he heads to the cross. Okay? That's what's happening. And they're up in the upper room, and as part of the Seder, they get out the elements that would be part of the Jewish Passover meal, and he uses them to teach them a lesson about who he is. And so every gospel has it, and Jesus commands that it goes on. And Paul says here in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And he could have received it in a couple of different ways. Number one, he could have received it through the testimony of the apostles in which he studied under. Remember, Paul was an apostle, untimely born. God, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He didn't walk like the other apostles did. The other apostles walked with Jesus and saw his ministry. He either learned it there or Jesus appeared to him particularly to reveal this to him, that this is what you're supposed to do as part of worship in the church. You're supposed to take the Lord's Supper, which involves bread and wine or juice. In this case, it was obviously wine, and I'll tell you why. Because you don't get drunk on juice. If you do, you got a problem. <laughs> you need to go see a doctor immediately. And so what's happening here is that he, Jesus has commanded the Lord's Supper. So first and foremost, why do we do it, and why should it be a part of a true church? Because Jesus commanded it. It's not real difficult. He said it. He's the Son of God. He showed that by the resurrection. He's... And, I'll believe it, okay? So that's what Paul's saying here. The Lord's Supper is prescribed by Jesus. That's why it should be a part of a true church. Secondly, we go on, and it says in verse 24, and when he had given thanks, remember he took bread in verse 23, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after, after, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. And so there's a symbolic nature to this. We know that because it's common sense. Because in verse 24, he took bread. I got pita bread from Piggly Wiggly this morning because I forgot to get it later. I did pick pita bread because it is unleavened as far as I know. If you're a baker and they put leaven in it, I f I'm sorry, but I'm going to go with the baking knowledge I have right now, okay? So he took bread. Something will probably look like this, an unleavened piece of bread. And he took it out 
And he said, this is my body. Obviously symbolic because his body is right there. Right? If he wanted, if it was going to be literal, I guess he could have broken a bone. But he is using symbolic language. I think it's clear. And what does he do in verse 24? He broke it. Now that is to show that he was about to be broken on the cross. Now we know Jesus didn't have any bones broken, but he was broken in the sense that he was beaten, he was mocked. We talked about, we sang about the crown of thorns just a few moments ago. His body, he was mangled and bloodied and had to carry this Roman cross. And all of this was not because he had committed any crime, but he was paying for the crimes of all who would believe him. And so, so Christ, and he is using a symbolic thing, this is my body broken for you, so you can see the image of his body being broken on the behalf of those who had sinned. And then not only that, he would have broken pieces out and given it to his disciples. Now, the way we do the Lord's Supper is out of necessity, okay? We've got little juice and little cups. It's two little cups. Sometimes a cup gets stuck together. That's just life, okay? That's, that's tough. And what happens is we have this, we, we miss some of the symbolism of it, and that's fine because you know why we do it that way? So we don't have to spend an hour or whatever, 20 minutes, cutting bread and handing it out. So we have this necessity, but what happens is, is you get this little cracker and you lose some of the symbolism of it. And so here's the idea of a breaking that happens, of a body broken. Not only that, it would be a handing out to those who were there and an ingesting of this. And it harkens back to Jesus saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And he, it's a symbolic thing saying, my death should be the utmost in your life. And it should be that which drives you and moves you and is your righteousness and hope and peace and everything. And so he uses the symbol of bread to represent the breaking of his body. Not only that, he says, and he goes on in verse 25, and he says, in the same way also he took the cup after, after, cup, after supper. Let's see if I can speak this morning. After supper saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This new covenant was going to be based on Christ's blood, and it was that people would know God and would have their sins forgiven, and no longer we'd have to say to your brother, know the Lord, you would know the Lord. And so through Jesus, there's a, a way, and all the other laws were contingent upon obedience. All the other covenants. You keep my commandments, then you will receive blessing. The new covenant in Jesus' blood said, I kept the commandments for you, believe, and you'll be different. And so I got 100% grape juice from Piggly Wiggly as well. We had two options. It was Foodland or Piggly Wiggly. I went, I went Piggly Wiggly. If you're a Foodland person, no hate here, okay? No hate. And this, it would have been wine in this situation, but it would have been poured out of one wineskin or jug or whatever they would have kept it in. And we've been poured into one cup, and the people would all share one cup. Now, because we are not we use juice and not alcohol, it's very important for germs that we do not use one cup. Because I love you, but I don't want to like swap spit with you, to drink after you. I love you. I don't want that. And we don't have the alcohol in there to kill it, so to kill all the funk. All right, so we don't do it that way. But it was out of one communal jar that's put in here, and so there's this idea of of one death 
one sacrifice of the one true God being disseminated to the people of God, and we ingest it saying, this is all of our hope, is his blood and his flesh torn. And the blood is, is that which covers the sin, and it's that which contains life, and as it drains from Jesus' body, his blood, that crimson flow, washes us white, and is forgiveness of sins. And is a sign of the new covenant where we, we can be made righteous, not because of our own righteousness, but because of an alien righteousness outside. Not alien in the sense like from Mars or Jupiter, but it's something that's not natural to us. We can be made righteous by Christ's righteousness being upon us and his blood cleansing us. And so... This is obvious, symbolic, obviously symbolic, because if, if it wasn't, Jesus at this point still had blood coursing through his veins. And if he wanted to get weird, he could have done a little vampire stuff and poked a hole, drained it in the cup, and done it. It's evidently obvious that this is symbolic. People have had trouble with this throughout the years. But it has to be symbolism. Not only that, is the Lord's Supper prescribed by Jesus and symbolic of what he has done. And we need symbols, and we need things to help us remember. I, don't, I do. You ever used a mnemonic device before to help you remember something? I forget things a lot. Examples help me quite a bit. You remember math class when you're growing up? And have you ever tried to read a math book? It's like being beaten in the head with a club full of dullness. It's the worst. <laughs> you take the coefficient, divide it by the... Okay, and you're like, oh, brain, and like just gray matter leaks out your ears. How did I learn math was not reading that awful math book. I watched the teacher on the board show me how to do it, and that example hit home more so than reading about coefficients and coaxials and whatever. If you're a math person, you're probably like, that doesn't relate, moron. <laughs> Kevin's over here like, church discipline on that later. <laughs> For his math prowess. What I'm getting at is that this is a symbol meant to remind us of how much we need Christ at all times. There's never a day goes by that you don't need him. He is everything. So it's prescribed, it's symbolic to help us know and understand, and it's memorial, which means it's a remembrance. You know where I got that from? Jesus. Right here in verse 24, this is my body. It's not literal. It's obviously symbolic because his body's right there. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So to think back, to remember what Christ has done, who Christ is, how great a sacrifice, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my own. We are prone to live for ourselves, though. We're prone to get caught up in our own little world. We're prone not to think about how great Christ is. We're prone to think in small terms about Christ, in big terms about us. It's, it's who we are. And so we need to re be reminded and remember, and we need to know Christ because the world is dark and hard and cold. And we fail, and we sin, and we break God's heart. 
And we go back to the flow, the fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. We go back to the only place that we could find righteousness. And that's what, that's what worship is supposed to do. And that's what the taking the elements is supposed to do is to remind us to remember the sacrifice of Christ, that we don't deserve anything good. But grace and goodness and mercy came to us in the shed blood and broken body of Jesus. And we need to remember it. We also need to remember how much we need it. We're eating and ingesting it, and eating and ingesting things are a part of our life, right? Just as soon as I mentioned that, some of you are like, where are we going to lunch? Just popped in your head. Especially if you got a little bit of that squirrel in you, okay? You know what I mean? A little ADD. We're thinking about it. Have you ever been on vacation before? You wake up in the morning, and you're like, what are we going to do for lunch? And while you're eating lunch, what are we going to do for dinner? What are we going to do for breakfast tomorrow after we eat dessert in a little while, okay? It's just a part of our life. Maybe it's not a part of your life. It's part of my life, okay, especially when I'm out there. Thanksgiving's coming, okay? I'm ready for my stretchy pants, all right? <laughs> More than you need to know. I understand that. But it's something you need, and then we're ingesting, we're ingesting it, and it's, it's, it's so we need Christ. We, need, we have no righteousness or goodness on our own. We need him. We need his broken body because we've sinned, and we deserve to be broken. We need his blood because our sins are scarlet. They're out there for everyone to see. And I just want you to think about this. Could you imagine if every one of your sins was written on you? You had to wear a white suit, heaven forbid. And everything you did was marked by a stain or a word. Can you imagine how embarrassing and filthy you'd look? You ever seen a kid come home from school, like a little kid? They're filthy. I don't know what they do. It's like they were playing with pigs. I know they're not at the elementary school. It's a nice, clean place. My son came home. He wore a white shirt the other day for Veterans Day. They were doing red, white, and blue. He came back. He looked awful. It looked like he'd been in a paintball war. And then was attacked by llamas. I mean, it is, it is spit and gross. And I was just like, if we had to walk around with the evidence of our sin everywhere, how filthy would we all look? And then when we talk about the blood and remember the blood, it's the flow of Calvary, Christ's blood. That washes clean. And he says, remembering this, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this, is the cu- this cup is the new covenant in my blood, forgiveness of sins, right relationship with God. He says, do this, and as often as you do it, as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. We forget so easily, and this is a, and the Lord's Supper is part of what a church should do. It's prescribed by Jesus. It's symbolic. It helps us remember that which is hard about us, our forgetting, and we are remembering together. It's a memorial where we remember together the significance of Christ's death, how much it means. And that's why it's for believers only, because you can't remember something you haven't experienced. Like I, Kevin and I have known each other for three years now, probably. We didn't go to high school together. I went to high school in Panama City, Florida. He went to high school in Tennessee. I don't even remember what part of Tennessee. East Tennessee. 
And so if I go up to Kevin and say, hey, you remember in high school how we used to get half days on Wednesday and we'd go out to the beach? There's no beach in East Tennessee. A lake beach is not a beach. It's just gross. I love you. It's not a beach. It's wrong. But we put sand. Okay, you're still going to get leeches. Just, just want you to know that. Why, do you know if I kept saying, ask, telling that to Kevin, he'd think I was a, a psychotic person. Hey, you remember how much fun we used to have out at Mexico Beach? Remember two cans? What has happened to Matt? He's had a stroke or something. Something's wrong. Why can't I say you remember? Because we never experienced it together. So the supper is for those who are in Christ, who have a faith commitment to him, and are walking with him, and we remember what he's done. That's why it makes no sense for someone who is not a believer, someone who's not following Jesus, to take the supper. Because you're remembering nothing. You're not remembering how significant it was, that his, the salvation that came to you. You're not remembering what the blood has done. You're not remembering the new, what the new creation looks like opposed to the old. So don't take it. It's that simple. And, and here's the thing. It's not a bad thing not to take it. It just shows where you are. And, man, I tell you what, we are so full of, of self-deception. And the supper helps us see and think about our relationship to Christ. It's for believers. You can't remember something that has not taken place. Also, it's a proclamation. Verse 26, after Jesus says, break the bread, do this and remember, and drink the cup, do this and remember it to me. Verse 26 says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Just like baptism is a proclamation of a changed life. And it's saying, I now follow Jesus. His death was for me. His I'm now dead to my sins, and now I'm risen in Christ. And that's why the water significance, the baptism significance, and the way it's done is so important because it points to this symbolic thing about what Christ is and what he's done. He died, and he was raised, and that is what we are. We have died to sin, and we are raised to Christ as a new creation, and that's the baptism is a proclamation. But also, together, when we do the supper, it's a proclamation, which we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming there's one way. We're proclaiming, I almost fell off the stage. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I, I just felt like I need to acknowledge that because some of you are like, I saw that. Okay? Sorry about that. I guess I'm not used to the, to the shoes this morning, all right? <laughs> Let's start over, okay? Not the whole thing. Just where we were. When we come to this situation, we are proclaiming that he's the only way. And what we do that is we're asking, when we do the supper, we ask that believers do it. Why? Because believers are the only ones who know the full effect of the blood, the, the broken body and the blood of Jesus. And it's a proclamation. So, it's a proclamation to the world that this is the way, that Jesus' blood and righteousness is all we have. And we're proclaiming this to one another. We're proclaiming we're in this together. When we take it together, when you look at the person next to you who's taking it, okay, you're, you guys are saying, we are one in Christ. We, this is our hope and peace. Our righteousness is right here. So you're proclaiming it to one another. You're proclaiming it to the world. And you're proclaiming it to people who are in our congregation who do not know Christ. And it's important. I'll tell a story several, several years ago. I served... Um, as an interim part-time 
I was in college, so they made it every, like, I had, like, I was the youth minister, but there was, like, seven qualifications. Not paid, volunteer, you know what I mean? Just people know if I screwed up, the church wasn't liable, okay? <laughs> wasn't a good deal for me, but it worked out, all right? And the pastor there of the church, there was a gentleman he had been sharing the gospel with for some time. His wife was a believer, and he wasn't. And he would come, and he had been in church his whole life, but he would say, I'm just, I just don't, I don't trust Christ. After months and months of sharing Jesus with him, one of the strangest things happened. The elements were passed out for the Lord's Supper. The gentleman pretended to take the elements. And this is the pastor telling me this. Like he, pretended, like he pretended to pick up a cup and a piece of bread like he was holding nothing. And that was weird, <laughs> okay? It's like he was pretending. And then as time came to take the elements together, when it was time for the bread, the gentleman put, made all the motions but put nothing in his mouth. Next go around, it was time for the juice. Everybody knocked back the little juice thing, and he pretended with nothing in his hand to knock it back as well. It was very strange. And I asked the pastor, I said, why do you think he did that? He's like, I don't know. But I do know something is that at least this is one of the things he guessed was that the significance of the supper and what it meant to Christ had finally weighed upon this man's life, and he was taking seriously the claims of Jesus. And it's amazing. Jesus said this is one of the ways we proclaim. We proclaim through preaching, but we also proclaim through this ordinance. Finally, I want you to see this going on. Verse 27, we see this, Paul giving more instructions. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Which is basically saying, if you do this in an unworthy way, you are drinking guilt upon yourself. And so, there should be warning when it comes to the table. If you are in a long-standing practice of unrepentant sin, be careful about taking the supper. Now, if you're doing this as a sign of repentance, that's a whole different story. But just... I don't know your heart. God does. So when you approach it, approach knowing that, that this is a significant thing. It's symbolic. We don't believe like many others would that it becomes something different. It actually is a flesh and blood. No, it's a memorial. It's a remembrance. But it's significant. If you would, we're going to stand. We're going to be dismissed with a word of Scripture. And then if you are able-bodied and willing, if you'd pick, the ch pick some chairs up and put them up and stack them on the back row, that would be awesome as we get ready for our food boxes. That would be great. Let's be dismissed with these words from Psalm 62. Trust in Him at all times, O people. 
pour out your hearts before him. And you may need to hear this. I do. God is a refuge for us. Walk in that refuge. See you in a little bit. God bless you. I guess so.